At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I have a serious word to give to you that is prophetic. And, uh, and I'm giving you this word again because every time I come up here, uh, I'm going to say to you what God has told me to share with you. Uh, Jesus would say in his ministry, I only have to say what the Father has said to me. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to be able to say, I only have to say to you what the Father has said to me. And what God has told me to say to us this morning in the teaching is God told me to tell you, save the children. Save the children. Look at the image. Get the image not only in your eyes, but get it in your heart. Get it in your mind. Somebody said a pitch is worth a thousand words. God told me to tell us to save the children. That's the word he told me to give you today, to save the children. Now, I am convinced, I'm convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that God cares about children. Nobody, nobody could ever convince me otherwise. I'm convinced in my heart that God cares about children. And for you to appreciate the seriousness of the revelation that God is giving us today, I want you to understand the context out of which many children live today in America. And so I want to draw for a minute upon the resources of Marion Wright Elderman, who is the president and founder of the Children's Defense Fund. And what I'm getting ready to share with you, actually these words will be on the screen for you to read as I share them with you, because I want you to understand contextually how serious this word is, how serious this revelation is, and, and why is it that God is telling us to save the children? Marion Wright Elderman says, in less than the time it takes to read my testimony, another 14 infants will be born into poverty in America, another 10 without health insurance, and one more child would be neglected or abused. Every 44 seconds, a baby is born into poverty. Every minute, a baby is born without health insurance. Every 11 minutes, a child is neglected or abused. And every two hours, 20 minutes, a child or youth is killed by guns in America. Every day, too many of our children have too little to eat and no place to sleep. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 12 million children live in food insecure households, unable to afford adequate and nutritious food, about 3.6 million children live in households without households with worse case housing needs as defined by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. These are households where more than half their income is spent on rent or they live in severely substandard housing. Many are working families who are simply unable to make ends meet every day. Parents of the nearly 11 million children without health insurance worry about what to do when their children become sick. 90% of these uninsured children have working parents. Uninsured children are far less likely to receive medical or dental care when they need it. They are far more likely to use hospital emergency rooms as a primary source of health care and too often fail to get adequate follow-up care or information on preventive measures or ways to manage chronic illnesses like asthma or diabetes. Every week, nearly 7 million school-aged children are left alone 
without adult supervision or structured activities in the hours after their school day ends. While struggling to make it in the workforce, parents constantly worry about what is happening in those hours between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. when violent juvenile crime rates peak and unsupervised children are more likely to be at, rest, at risk of dangerous behaviors such as smoking, drinking, sex, or crime. Millions are also left without adult supervision during the summer months. Now that's a report from the Children's Defense by Marion Wright Elderman about the context of children in America. Can I tell you something very clearly today? What Marion Wright Elderman says about the context of children in America is the context of children in Louisville, Kentucky. Don't think that that's true everywhere but Louisville. That is as accurate of Louisville as it is America. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? When I raise the question, what are we going to do about it, I'm not talking about what is city government going to do, what is state government going to do, what is the federal government going to do. I'm not talking about what is the Louisville Metro Police Department going to do, what is the corporate community going to do, what is the university community going to do, what are philanthropic organizations going to do, what are other social agencies and entities in the city going to do. I'm raising the question this morning, what are we going to do. To narrow that field, I'm saying, what are we going to do as African Americans? What are we going to do as black people? I'm, I'm asking the question, what are we going to do as a faith community? What are we going to do as a church? What are we going to do as Christians? And while, <clears throat> while I believe that all of the various institutions and agencies and entities in a city have a role and a responsibility for building community and for addressing the social ills that plague people in our society. Um, I do not dare stand here to want to say that I know with some uh, specificity why they want to do what they ought to do. I could only speculate on that. Uh, in some cases, uh, some entities might want to help with saving children because it is an economic advantage for them to do so. For some entities, it has to do with saving the face of Louisville. They don't want Louisville to be recognized as a hostile city or a city that uh, does not know how to live together in a communal relationship. For some people, it may have to do with securing governmental grants. For some other people, it might be that it helps to have good business. We can't afford to have all this ruckus and then be able to entice other major Fortune 500 companies to come to Louisville. They may have various reasons as to why they might want to do what they do. But for us, the church, it is not just what we do, but it's why we do it and how we do it. And for us, the motivation for saving children ought to be that we love what God loves. And God loves children. There ought not be any ulterior motives that drive us to save children. It ought to be simply because we love children.
there is something wrong and there is something missing in any person's life who does not care about children. There's something wrong. There's something missing in anybody's life who does not care about children. There's something wrong. There is something missing in anybody's life that does not care about children. And to make sure you feel me, when I make that statement, I'm not talking about just your child. I'm not talking about just the child that came from your womb or grew up in your house. I'm saying prophetically, with authority and without apology, if you don't care about children, something's wrong with you. As Christians, we ought to love what God loves. God cares about children. And so at the Canaan Church, we're going to respond to what God says. I don't speak for all churches and pastors. I speak for the Canaan Church. And we're going to care about children. And when I say we're going to care about children, understand, beloved, I'm not talking about something new for the Canaan Church. I'm the pastor and founder of this church, and since 1983, I have always, in the ministry of this church, I've always had a focus on taking care of children. I've been doing it all my ministry. Um, on Dixie Highway, um, one of the formations of how we took care of children early on had to do with what we called our Rites of Passage program. It was Christocentric and it was very Afrocentric. And there are young people in our church now, or they're more like, they're young adults now, who have been the beneficiaries of that program. My son is 39, he's going to turn 40 next year. He came through the Rites of Passage program. Cassie Engelking came through the Rites of Passage program. Kanika Dillingham came through the Rites of Passage program. Uh, Danielle Buford came through the Rites of Passage program. Marion Vassar, uh, Jewel Vassar, they all came through the Rites of Passage program. And there are many, many other young adults who came through that Rites of Passage program who are now positive and productive young adults. Amen. And we, we made a paradigm shift um, when we came out here. And we made that paradigm shift because uh, I understand that God didn't call me just to save black people. He called me to save people. And that our church is not a church that just, that just reaches out or welcomes people who are, who are black. We're reaching out to black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, Hispanic. I'll save E.T. if he exists. Amen. Our calling is to save people. And so we decided to make a paradigm shift and, and uh, not continue to do what we do in terms of caring for children in terms of a rites of passage program that was very strong, both Christocentric and Afrocentric, because we didn't want children of families who were not African-American to feel that they were not welcome or that they would not be included. So we made a paradigm shift so that we would continue to take care of children, but that it would be done in a more inclusive type of ministry paradigm. So now we have what we would call the Dare to Dream Academy. 
Before the pandemic, the Dare to Dream Academy was operating. It was effective to a certain degree. We got up to about 150 uh, young people in that uh, ministry, both boys and girls. Now on the other side, on the other side of the pandemic, we are now in the process of reactivating the Dare to Dream Academy. The vision of the Dare to Dream Academy is to provide the nurturing and empowerment that will enable children and youth to grow and develop physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually so that they will become productive adults and experience a usable future. The Dare to Dream Academy enrolls children and youth from kindergarten to 12th grades, boys and girls. This ministry is going to meet every second and fourth Saturday, every second and fourth Saturday of the month from 9 a.m. till 12 noon. K through the fifth grade would represent the elementary group. Sixth to the eighth grade represents middle school and ninth through 12th represents high school. These are the areas of concentration, physical. The physical is an area of concentration in this area. We address the importance of exercise and the basic care of one's body. You may be surprised how many children now are now being diagnosed with the issue of diabetes and obesity because they don't go outside and play no more, spend too much time on these games. And many children do not care for their bodies because they don't have parents making sure that they care for their bodies. Then there's going to be the mental area of concentration. In this area, we address educational needs, reading, writing, language, history, math, and homework. I still believe in fundamental education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. See, you've got to learn to read so later you can read to learn. You get it? Did you get that? Let me say it again. See, if you don't learn to read, you later won't be able to read to learn. So I still believe in reading, writing, and arithmetic. Amen. And then we're going to teach them their history since crazy folk in the Republican Party don't want African-American history to be taught in the school system. Fine. Go on with your stupid self. We're going to teach it ourselves. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to teach it. We're going to make sure they know who they are and where they came from. We're going to help them with their homework so that students failing become students passing. CA satisfactory, A's and B's. We also address the issues of attitude and mental disposition. We got to make sure children have the right attitude, the right mental framework about life. Then we're going to address the emotional need. In this area, we, we help children and youth to understand and grow in how they manage the feelings of their lives. Trust, fear, love, joy, peace, and confidence. Children have emotional needs. And you can't help a child if the child don't trust you. We also help them develop in, to, to develop a healthy self-esteem and self-identity. Then we're going to address the social needs. In this area, the focus is on the importance of relationships and responsibilities. Understanding the significance of family relationships and the meaning of community. How would you ever expect a child to respect policemen, to respect teachers, to respect uh, people in employment positions who have authority over them. How would you ever expect them to respect them and relate to them when they never learn how to respect each other in the house and to relate to each other? If you can't respect your mom and daddy, I know you ain't gonna respect me. Teachers who are sitting in here, and you talk about what you're grappling with, it ain't nothing but they bringing to you what they have at home. So we're going to talk about communication skills, cultural identity and history, understanding of talents, gifts, abilities, 
because every child is gifted. Every child is gifted. We need them to know what their gifts are and we're going to give them opportunity to showcase their gifts. And goal setting and vision development are key factors. And then the other area that we're going to address is the spiritual. In this area, we guide children and youth in coming to personally know God in the person of Jesus Christ. We teach, we teach them how to become strong disciples of Christ and what it would mean as they continue to grow and mature. We impart into their lives biblical principles and values that will shape their character and give them the inner strength to live their lives in the light of God's counsel. Amen. And, um, and uh, let me say, we, we, we're not going to dumb down on Jesus. We, we're not, we're not going to be teaching spirituality generally. No, we're talking about Jesus Christ. So we, we, I'm saying to any parent who brings their child, they say, well, now, you know, I heard that you all talk particularly about Jesus and I'm not a believer in Jesus or I'm of another faith and I don't want my child to be exposed. Well, you don't want your child in Dare to Dream Academy. You have to take your child somewhere else because in the Dare to Dream Academy, they're going to hear about Jesus. Amen. Now we we we're not gonna we're not gonna force your child to accept Jesus. We ain't gonna do that. We ain't gonna force your child. You could be Muslim. Bring your child to the Dream Academy. For everything else they get, they're gonna hear about Jesus, but we're not gonna force your child to become a Christian. But what I'm telling you unapologetically is that we're gonna focus on him. Because we're not, this is not a program on behavioral modification. This is a program on spiritual, mental, emotional, and social transformation. And then beyond that, we're going to have special programs. We'll have the STEM program, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Then we're going to have leadership development. They're going to be beyond the regular leadership training. We're going to do things that are very high-level focused on leadership development. Then we're going to do a piece that would be focused on career development. Because young people need to be learning how to dream early in life and be thinking out where they want to go, what they want to be, who they can become. They need to be... Uh, taught how to dream and then we're going to have special field trips and these field trips will focus on education and exposure now the field trips won't be the same for all of them because the field trips will be based on the level of their education and the level of their growth exposure is a great tool you know what you may not be aware of so I need to tell you there are children in Louisville who have not been over to Indiana. You didn't hear what I just said. I didn't say Chicago. I didn't say L.A. Indiana's across the bridge. There, there are children in the West End who have not been to some of the significant places, cultural places, um, Places that can help formulate their growth and development. I mean, right here in Louisville, they have never been. And, and so because of that, they have a very limited perspective about who they are, who they can become, and what God would have them to be. No child gets to where God wants them to be by themselves. And you may not want to acknowledge the people that God used to bless you, but you did not get to where you are by yourself. You had a mama, a daddy, somebody at the church, a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, a good friend, a neighbor. There have been people who have made invaluable impartations into your life. Ain't none of us self-made men, self-made women. No. And I need to help a few young adults 
who live with an entitlement mentality. You're not entitled to nothing. And you didn't deserve anything. My son has an earned doctorate degree from West Kentucky University. He has an EDD. And um, he did well. I started him out, Sandra and I, in Catholic school. In fact, I saw the priest just recently. His name is Father John. I saw him at Uptown Cafe. He came and spoke to me, and I shared with him. He asked about Walter, and I told him how Walter was doing. He was so proud of him. And, um, um, and then from there, you know, he went on and then to, to, to uh, public school. He got to a certain grade, made it a C. I went to school the next day. And I said to his teacher, who was a white lady, I said to her, I said, this is the last C my son's going to bring home. And I said to her, I said, let's have an understanding. I'm not asking you to uh, educate my son. It's my job to see that my son gets an education. But I hold you responsible to teach him. I said, you don't have to worry about him doing his homework because his mother and I are going to make sure he gets his homework done. I said, but I don't ever want him to come home with another seat. Do we have an understanding? I didn't threaten her. I didn't disrespect her. But what I did make sure she understood, I'm not the black man who's going to let his son become a statistic. And many of you, and many of you as parents, black parents, you, you don't understand that there are studies out that verify how young African-American boys get to a certain grade, they're doing good, and then all of a sudden it starts becoming this decline. It ain't by accident. The problem is many people don't know how to teach your child, and they don't want to admit it. There have been schools that's put children on Ritalin, chemical, talking about behavior issues, and all they bored. I'm going somewhere with this. He never made another C. He just made A's and B's. And as he progressed through college, his GPA actually got higher. And higher, when he got his master's degree, his GPA got higher. When he got his earned doctor degree, his GPA got higher. He made an A in statistics. What I'm trying to tell you is Walter didn't get there by happenstance. He had a mother and a father who nurtured him from the time he was a baby all the way through. And I would say to him and I'd say to any young adult, you 25 or whatever age you are, 30, see, you had to get to 25. You had to get to 30. And there's a whole lot of opportunities before then that could have hampered you from getting there if you hadn't had a mom and a daddy on your side. So if you grew up in a home with a loving mother, a loving father, if you grew up in a house with responsible parents, you need to tell the Lord thank you. Oh yeah. Why? Why, pastor, should I tell the Lord thank you? Because you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. There's nothing about you that you were supposed to have this when you came into the world. No, you weren't supposed to have nothing. You have it by the grace of God. Stay with me. So the, so the child who's born into a house and he never knew his daddy. His mother has issues. The child that, that doesn't have a solid relationship with mama or daddy and grandmama is raising them. And the child that grows up in a home where they hear gunfire every evening, they live in a violent atmosphere. The child that doesn't know what they gonna eat from one day to the next Listen to me. That child didn't deserve that either. Yeah. 
child didn't, that child did not deserve that any more than my son deserved to be raised in a solid family Christian home with a social under net under him all of his life. So I'm sitting here one day in the office. There was a young man in our church. He was just getting in and out of trouble to want, I mean, every other month, getting in, getting in and out of trouble. I didn't talk to him two or three times. You know, listen, brother, you, you got to turn it around. You got to do this, you got to do that, so forth and so on. And then he got in trouble again. And he came by the church. He, he, didn't, have, he didn't have no appointment. We wasn't supposed to talk. He done got in, in a mess again. And he came by the church. I guess he didn't know nowhere else to go. So he came by the church, Joe, and uh, wanted to talk to me. Usually people don't get to talk to me like that, but they said, Pastor, he's here, he's got this going on. I said, okay. I said, bring him on into my office. He came in my office, we sit down, we start talking. I said, now what, what, what's going on now? And he told me what was going on, so forth and so on. So you know what I did? I just shut down what I was doing. And I said to him, I'll tell you what, you wanna go to the movies? He said, what? I said, would you like to go to the movies? You remember the movies over here, that was used to be over here on Barstown Road? Okay, that's where we went. Huh? Yeah, Showcase Cinema. That's where we went, Joe. We went over to Showcase Cinema. I said, what you want to see? I, well, I don't know. I said, whatever you want to see, we can see. And so we go out and said, what you, want, what you want to eat? Let's get something to eat. I said, get you a hot dog, get you some popcorn. Of course, get you some M&Ms. <laughs> I said, I'm going to get a Diet Coke. You get whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Popcorn, M&M's, Diet Coke. And uh, so we watched the movie, y'all. We watched the movie. Had a good time. Now we're leaving. And I gave him some other words of encouragement, Ed. I gave him some other words of encouragement. And I said, now listen, you, you don't have to keep doing what you're doing. So you can turn this thing around. And here's what you got to do. And I hugged him. And I told him, I said, man, listen. I said, look me in the eye. I said, pastor loves you. Brother Springfield, now this young man was about 17, something like that, maybe 18, and he started crying like a baby. So now I'm stunned, I'm kind of puzzled, because I'm like, now what's, what's wrong? Now we done went to the movie, we done talked, we done had popcorn and hot dogs and everything, and all I told you was that I love you, what's, what's wrong? And this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, now, understand he's about 17 to 18. He said, Pastor, this is the first time I ever had a man to take me to the movie. And then he said, and this is what broke me down. He said, it's the first time I ever had a man to tell me that he loves me. It took me to another level of what it means to take care of children. Because it was so easy for me to operate from the position that every little boy was getting what Walter got. Because I had taken Walter to the movie hundreds of times and I've told him millions of times, like almost on a daily basis, I love you. But just because you told your child that you love him or her, and just because you took your child to the movie, or you took your child to certain important places, brothers and sisters, don't make the mistake of thinking every child in our city is getting that. Who's responsible for caring for the children? Who's responsible for saving children? It's the family and the church. We don't, we don't raise your child for you. 
but we do partner with you and we do stand by your side to help you in the development of your child so your child can have a usable future. I'm asking this morning for every man and every woman that's in the sanctuary after the benediction to go to the Hosey Bradley room and to register and to commit to work with the Dare to Dream Academy so that as a church we can be obedient to what God is calling us to do and in case you have forgotten it this quick he's calling us to save the children now I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying I am not talking to the person beside you on your left or on your right I'm not talking to the person in front of you or behind you I'm talking to you I'm talking to every woman that's in this sanctuary. I'm talking to every man in this sanctuary. I'm saying, I want sure you don't think I'm confused. I'm literally saying that however many people in this sanctuary right now, I'm asking every person that's in this sanctuary right now, balcony, lower level, when a benediction is given, I'm asking you not to go to your car. I'm asking you to make your way into the Holy Bradley room. They're prepared for you to register and to sign up and to make a commitment today. I ain't asking you to pray about it. I ain't asking you to think about it. What you got to pray about? But what you got to pray about? Everything I'm saying, everything I'm saying is coming from this book right here. So what you got to pray about? And what you got to think about? I'm asking you to make the commitment. Now, if, if you don't go in there and you don't make the commitment, I don't need you to come to me after the benediction. Well, Pastor, I'd go do it, but you know, I, I got this challenge. I, I, I ain't got the time. I got, I'm, I got these things going on in my life. I don't need you to do that. I don't need you to call me. Do not call Sister Malone. She's not my secretary. She's not my executive assistant. She's my wife. She has one assignment in my house. Love me to death. All right. So I don't need you to do none of that. Because let's just be honest. If you don't go in there and do that, it's probably or it's a good chance that you won't go in there because, or possibly because you don't care. It, it ain't about nothing else. It's just perhaps it's a good probability that the reason you won't go in there is you don't care. One of the most prolific and powerful books that I have in my library is a book by Kerry Newhoff. His last name is spelled N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. Kerry Newhoff. The title of his book is At Your Best, colon, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. Kerry Newhoff makes this statement, quote, in the quote, he says, Stop saying you don't have the time. Start admitting you didn't make the time. End of quote. Kerry Newhoff says that God gives all of us 24 hours in a day. He says the President of the United States does not get any more time in a day than you and I. All he gets is 24. And he's got to run the country. So he says, we need to quit saying, I didn't have the time. He says, we all have the time. He says, the only question is, what do you do with the time that you have? So life is about priorities. What's important to us? If it is a priority, 
If it is high level on your agenda, if it is something that you see of great importance, let me tell you what you do. You make the time. As a matter of fact, if we would just go on and kill a few demons this morning, we give time to stuff that has no value in our lives. If we go on and kill some demons, you could confess that uh, when you were unsaved, if you wanted to do it bad enough, however wicked it was, you found a way to do it. And some of us are still finding a way to do it. The question is, is it important enough? It's about priorities. And I don't know anything that could have a greater priority for our lives than saving children. We all got the time. We all have the gifts, the talents, and the abilities. And we got millions of dollars right here in this sanctuary to underwrite the Dead Dream Academy without any outside help right here. It's just where we're going to put it. You know Christian stewardship is about the stewardship of your time, your talents, and your treasures. Rick Pitino, who is one of the most recognized college basketball coaches in the nation, and he's a friend of mine, not only is he a wonderful basketball coach, but he's also an author. And the last book that he has authored is entitled The One Day Contract. The One Day Contract, colon, how to add value to every minute of your life. And I like his book because when I was reading it, it made me think about what do I do on any given day? Brother Lanier, you know what bothers me? Is I have a day and when I get to the end of it, if I have to say to myself, this was not a very productive day. That's what bothers me. So what I do is I try to make sure I have a schedule every day. I'm gonna do this from eight to nine, nine to 10, 10, you know, a schedule for every hour so that every hour can be used purposefully because it's easy to waste two or three hours. Rick Pitino says if you had a one day contract, it's only gonna be for one day. He said, what would you do? On the back of the book is a picture of him and Peyton Seaver. That's the year that they won K-Throne, the 2013 championship. He says in the book that he told his players that year, I'm putting everybody on a one-day contract. He says, young man, think about how better your life would be if you spend one hour extra studying your homework. If you spend one hour extra in terms of being in conditioning, if you spend one hour extra in on your basketball skills, whatever position you hold, if you spend one hour extra making sure you're getting the reading done for your classwork. He says, what I'm trying to say to you as young men is this is the year where we're not going to waste our time. And he contributes that the reason why they won the 2013 championship is because he challenged them to another level of focus. If that can happen with a basketball team, what could happen with you and I if we were more focused on how we use what God gives us? And what does he give us? Time, talent, treasures. Jesus, in, 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 in the gospel, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. That's about the stewardship of the resources God gives you. Paul in Ephesians says we ought to redeem the time. Redeeming the time means don't waste the time. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Can I ask you a question? Is it all right? Can I ask y'all a question? Why do you think you're supposed to see tomorrow? I mean, it's Sunday, right? See, you already planning what you're going to do on Monday. You're thinking Monday, Tuesday. Do, do you think that that's 
supposed to be, that it's a given? No. Child of God, if you wake up in the morning, the first thing you ought to do is tell the Lord, thank you. Because life is a gift. Ah, ah, ah. Revelation time, revelation time. You don't have to be sick to die. Ah, ah. Revelation time. Only thing required to die is just don't wake up. So, I must say to you again, God cares about children. In Matthew's gospel, in Math Mark's gospel, I'm sorry, in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 13. Then they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. These are the folk that are his disciples and they want to stop people from bringing children to Jesus. But Jesus, but when Jesus saw it, Mark says Jesus was greatly displeased. And this is what he said to the disciples. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means inherit it. Verse 16 says and Jesus took them up in his arms. Who? He took the children laid his hands on them and blessed them. If Jesus says, bring the children to me, if Jesus picks children up in his arms and blesses them, Walter, if you're going to be like Jesus, then receive children, man. Walter, pick the children up. Lay hands on the children and the youth and bless them. And you can't wait to 18 to lay hands on them. You gotta bless them when they small. And so then that would take us to the book of Proverbs. And I've been teaching this on Wednesday, my God from Zion, how the Lord is blessing us in this teaching entitled A Word for the Wise. It's written by Solomon. And Solomon was considered the wisest man in the Old Testament record. But Jesus supersedes Solomon because Jesus is the personification of wisdom. So wisdom ain't advice. Wisdom ain't getting a tip. Wisdom is a person. To embrace wisdom is to embrace Jesus. To reject wisdom is to reject Jesus. Listen to what Solomon says to his son, his children, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instructions of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Sandra, baby, I want to thank you for how you helped to raise our son. Amen. Bless you. For they would be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. That's what Solomon is saying. That if you take serious what we're teaching you, your life's going to be characterized by the favor of God. Then listen to what Solomon says in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, my son, listen to this mothers and fathers. Listen to this church family. He says to his son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive in Shiloh and hold like, and hold like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us and let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. 
keep your foot from their path. I'm telling parents, you need to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because what you need to keep in mind, you're not the only one speaking to your child. There are people out in the world, peers and other young people who have gone into the wrong path because they didn't have what they needed to have and your child can be enticed and led down the wrong path. So when you get over to Proverbs again, and I'm just giving you some excerpts. I'm about to wrap this up. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, listen again to what Solomon says to his son. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her and she will preserve you, love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. What we have to do with children in terms of saving children is we have to teach them how to live with discernment. Children got to grow up with principles and values. No child says no to something wrong just because they're going to say no. They have to be able to draw from within principles and values that have been instilled in them. So they grow up knowing some things I'm going to say no to because it ain't the way I was raised. And it doesn't speak to the principles and the values that guide my life. Some things I'm going to say yes to because I was taught to excel. I was taught to dream. I was taught to believe in myself. It's the way I've been raised. God wants every man, every woman created in his likeness to live. I'm speaking to you, everybody, as adults. You, you're an adult. I'm 40. I'm 50. I'm 60. I'm 70. Pastor, what does God want from me? He wants you to live. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, if God wants you to live, what do you think he wants for your child? He wants your child to live and not die. Something wrong, Louisville. The other year, we had more homicides in the month of June than there were days in the month of June. This ain't Miami, this ain't Chicago, this ain't LA, this is not Detroit, this is Louisville. More deaths than days in the month of June. Something's wrong, Louisville. Something wrong when the West End children are growing up with no sense of hope, no sense of future. Something wrong. I told Crystal Lanier this, and I'm going to say it again this morning to her, every principal in here, every teacher in here, if you, if you do anything in the public school system, your pastor is covering you in prayer. You've got a hard rope to pull. Because what we got now is a generation where children had children, and the children of the children were not raised because the children had the children, didn't know how to be a mom and a daddy. So you got a host that's coming to school now with no attitude, no disposition, no inclination of what right is. And in many cases, they don't have the support of the, of the family. They, they didn't grow up, you know, with the context I grew up in. What was that context, Pastor? I'm about through. If I acted crazy at school, 
and the principal called Marie Malone, I was going to disappear. I was leaving school, going somewhere to hide. Because Marie Malone was going to tell Mr. Elliot, the principal at North High School, just give me a few minutes, sir. I'll be on down there. I wasn't 12. I'm talking about when I was a teenager. I'm talking about Keith when I thought I was grown. That didn't matter to Marie Malone. She said, you grown, and I got something for you. <laughs> See, now your mama may have said this and didn't mean it. My mama meant it. I brought you into this world, and I will take you out. But your mother may not admit that. My mama meant every word. And I knew she meant it. I never spent a day in jail. And I did spend a day in jail not because I was so strong. But I knew my mama didn't play. And I thanked her later. Joe, for that kind of discipline. Yeah, my father, he was already dead. My mama said to me, I got to be both your mother and your father. She said, I ain't got time to play with you. She threw a glass at me in the kitchen, one of those big, thick, you know, old-time glasses. Went by my head, hit the wall and broke. And I turned around and looked, I said, why you throw a glass at me? I didn't say anything to you. You know, in the car, I didn't say anything back to you. She said, no, you didn't say anything back to me. She said, but I didn't like the way you looked at me. <laughs> I don't, Sister Lanier, I got a feeling. If families today, if mamas and daddies would bring their children up the way the book of Proverbs talks about, we'd have less, less dead black boys, we'd have less girls on the streets, we'd have less boys going to prison, we'd have more coming out of college. God thank you for my mother and my father thank you for Mr. and Mrs. Hill who lived down the street <laughs> thank you for Mr. and Mrs. Um, Willie May and Mr. James that live next door. Thank you for the people at the St. John AME Church who became the village to make sure that I <laughs> that I survived and lived long enough to get saved and that you could call me to be your preacher. God, give us a heart. Give us a heart to save the children. And at the Canaan Christian Church, we commit to you we gonna save the children. Not just the children in this church, but all across this city. Black, white, Latino, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, learned, unlearned. It doesn't matter, God, how bad they have been. 
No, we, we want the children that nobody else wants. We want the hardcore. We want the children that folk have given up on that said they ain't gonna be nothing. No, Jesus, that's the ones we want. And we're gonna thank you in advance that you will use us to save them and to change their lives. And I wanna thank you now for every man, for every woman who's heard your voice through your gospel, through your word, who understand the context, and who are going to now join hand and heart with others to save the children. In Jesus' name, amen. The people represent the church no matter where we are, so stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.